Hello there and welcome to the first edition of the She Said Club podcast for 2020. Whoop whoop! Can you believe it is a new year? And I'm delighted to say this podcast is partnered with Go Good Drinks. Joining me on the podcast today is the co-founder uh, and mum and festival organiser Jenny Wallace. You may know Jenny from Beyond Skin. Um, and we're going to get real into the nitty gritty with Jenny and we're going to hear her whole story and we're going to get motivated for the new year. We're going to be inspired um, and Jenny is going to tell us her inspirational story uh, all about becoming a mum to Cleo, all about finding Beyond Skin Clinic. Literally, it opened a week after her daughter Cleo was born and she's also going to tell us all about Breastival. So we have a lot to cover. You're very welcome to the podcast, Thank Jenny. Thank you so much. Just as you're introducing me, I'm thinking, I hope this podcast is going to last three hours. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> would it last three or could it last longer? No, no. I just When you say it like that, it's a lot. Um, it feels like a lot. And that's only the past three and a half years, never mind. Everything else that has I mean, happened before that. I am very that. young, obviously. But obviously. <laughs> yeah, but it's incredible. It's when people introduce you and roll off your list of things you've achieved. You're like, who are they talking about? You very rarely sit down and do that for yourself, and it's much easier for someone to do it for you. Yeah. Because we have this tall poppy syndrome in Northern Ireland. Nobody wants to shout about what they do or how successful they are. Yeah. 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 Well, you're very welcome to the podcast. It's so good to be here. Well, we always start off with a bit of a background so that people understand how you've actually got to the point in in your career and in your life. Um, I have a very dear friend who did very well in business and um, I said to him, you know, people think it happens overnight. He says, yeah, it takes 16 years to be an overnight success. So I think it's very true for a lot of us. We've done a lot of hard work and now we're just starting to reap the benefits. So how did it all start for you? Were you into school? Did you like studying? You know, tell us a bit about your background. I mean, I think I was the classic geek um, with the thick glasses and studied maths and did computer science and thought, yeah, this is a good career. And I always wanted to do well academically and, and I did and I went to school, I went to university, I did all the things you're supposed to do and found myself in a job uh, coding over in England living in Tunbridge Wells and sort of realised that I didn't really like coding. <laughs> did you did you study computer science at school? At then? Queen's, a, yeah. A Queen's? So I did, I did whatever at GCSE and then went on and did um, A-levels and yeah, I went to Queen's at computer science um, and was good at it, yeah. got a really good job with Kimberly Clark coding for them looking after one of their clients and um, but I think I sort of did all the things I was supposed to do and then realized no actually when I thought about it and looked at what I wanted for my life it really wasn't where I wanted to be I think at 22 or whatever age I was moving over there thinking I was moving to London yeah finding myself in Tunbridge Wells which is beautiful it's a lovely place if you're like retiring um, well, you were just starting I was just starting my life so it really wasn't a sleepy village where I wanted to be so and then I realized that being a coder as well just didn't suit my personality type. And did you find you were kind of isolated at that point? Or what was the, the, the kind of, there's always that light bulb moment where you think, ah, this just isn't working out for me. Well, I, I think it was. I mean, I didn't know anybody and that was fine. Like I am quite a social person and I made friends, but it, I, think, I think it was the job and the people who were lovely. It just wasn't the right environment. Yeah. Um, and being in a big company like that, I could see the money was good and there was chance for development, but it just something wasn't gelling yeah it wasn't having that fit no. well I started as a primary school teacher goodness and like 
when I tell people that, they're like, what? <laughs> you were going to educate kids? And it's like, I, I remember in my teaching practice in Kingston upon Thames, it wasn't too far from you. Mm. I kid you not. I had a child um, fall and cut its knee and it was just like a massacre had happened. I had another child who ran over to me to tell me they were about to be sick and they vomited over me. And then I had another child wet itself like on my foot. And I remember like literally, this is no joke, this is in one week, I thought this is too much of a reality check for me. This is not for me. And I got a job advertising, uh, selling classified ads in the Richmond and Twickenham Times Guardian newspaper. And that's how I got into my career in advertising and sales and so yeah. on. When I was 19 in Richmond, selling classified ads to people that were renting properties and, and all of that malarkey. But you just have that moment where you think, at you know, this is not don't. for me. People do. I, I think sometimes it takes a brave or stupid or whatever kind of person to go to, to get out of their rut almost. Yeah. I mean, not that I was in a rut, I hadn't been there that long, but you do. I don't know what was in my brain that maybe is because I had moved my entire life. I had moved all my belongings, I'd moved everything over, and I came back, you know, almost with my tail between my legs, going, No, I'm going to stay in Belfast. And, but not everyone can do that or not everyone could admit that they've made a mistake yeah actually i have made a gazillion mistakes but i still have no regrets does yeah. that make sense oh totally but people are very afraid of failure and they're afraid uh -huh. to put their hand up and go well i did make a mistake because it's seen as a weakness or but i think well in certain societies i think smart business people and people that have made mistakes and own up to it they understand that that's the only way you learn a hundred percent you took the words out of my mouth the only way you learn is by making the mistakes and what is it to say if you're going to fail fail fast Absolutely. and learn from it yeah. um and i literally you know as most of our listeners will know have failed at every level in business in my personal life and things like literally i remember doing a thing for women in business and i said you know we're all here to build our resilience to build our you know mental capacity to stay positive I said, how many of you in the room are struggling today? And a few went up that weren't happy in the job, the relationship had ended. I said, okay. I said, hands up if you've liquidated a company, gone bankrupt and got divorced at the same time. And I, I was the only one that put the hand up. And I said, see, so none of you are actually any worse off than me. I said, so let's begin. You know, so I think you have to, you know, you're allowed to to get over yourself on those failures because I think you sometimes are. people are dictated uh, and and think that their life moving forward is always going to be a failure, but it's not. It's just actually a moment. It's it's how you recover from it. It's yeah. how you are, you are going to fail. Every single person will fail at, at something or multiple things, probably loads, but it's how you move on from it and learn from it. And how you do grow from it because you can sit in your your whole and be and tell yourself you are a failure you are a failure but somehow yes you do build that you have to build that resilience to pull yourself out and go Absolutely. okay so what have i learned what did i do differently next time yeah how do i never go back to that place so you've come home mm -hmm. with your tail between your legs it's just 22 23 years yeah ago. yeah yeah and what happened then what was the the next chapter so i went back to a job i'd been in and um, working for a restaurant um working at a, a, a sort of management level and loved it. Um, so I sort of from that then fell into events um, and people then kept asking me to do things and that 
started a pattern in my life of just saying yes okay. to things. Um, and so before I knew it without even realising, I had morphed into a music promoter. <laughs> I was putting on gigs and um, working with bands and doing events. And so from that then, people were saying, oh, can you promote my record? Can you PR this for me? Can you do that? So and were you on your own at this stage or are you working for yeah, a company? Oh, no, no, just do it myself, sure. You just say yes to things. And you figure out later how you're actually going to do, do it. it. Um, so that started a, an eight-year career in music, really. Wow. And any I, big brand names or that we would know now? That's the first question everyone always yeah. asks me. And I never have a good answer. Um, I Just now and say, like, girl, oh, like yeah, body. Tans, oh, yeah, I mean, yes. But, so I worked with a lot of different people. Um, moved over and did a lot. Most of my clients, at, by the end of it, were all London-based. Wow. Um, but I was traveling the world with people and... By the end, I was doing most. Hold on a second here, like just don't be so blasé about this. It, it, the reality of it is, you get up every day and it's a job, but it's what you do. It's a, it's not like it wasn't always really exciting. Okay, so some of the good stuff was getting to go on tour with um, JLS a couple of times. And doing wow! Tour. Did you that learn the dance moves? <laughs> do you know what? You, because you hear the same, the same pattern of songs every night, it becomes like. And before I was working on those tours, I was working with punk bands. Brilliant. And I remember like telling my one of my punk acts like, yeah, so I'm actually like in the Odyssey, just on a JLS tour right now. And they're like, what? <laughs> I'm going, yeah. Keeping it real. Yeah. Um, but then by the end of that, I was obsessed with JLS, loved all their music. Like it just becomes what you do. But um, but that was really good fun. That was really good part of. That's incredible. So you went from a humble coder, came (laughs) home, worked in a restaurant, organised a few events and ended up touring the world with bands. Pretty much. That's a pretty epic story, like not to be sniffed at. But it is, but legitimately it is just because I kept saying yes. People kept saying, can you do this? And I go, yeah, sure, of course. Are you still a yes woman? Um, Yes, but maybe less so, I think, because now I'm a parent, um, I have different priorities and I don't have the capacity to say yes to things. So mm. I did a small, like at one point I did a small little um, local event for an artist in Belfast and he had such a great weekend here with me and I he really enjoyed it. I, I got a call the next day to say, can you meet him in Manchester and finish the rest of the UK tour? And I was able to just up and go Absolutely. the next day, which I couldn't do now. Yeah. So I think just logistically my life is different yeah and your priorities as you say do change so you're touring the world (laughs) then what happened so then I was kind of because I was I suppose an entrepreneur and was doing my own thing and self-employed I was in that world of startups um, and I'd always kind of had a wee hand in technology and liked what was going on digitally I had friends who were in startups and one of them convinced me to um, come work for him um, and do business development. Okay. So gave up what I was doing in music and went to work for a startup. Okay. And what did they do or what was the Um, the genre? So it was digital uh, point of sales software. Okay. Very good. Okay. And had a really good time. Learned a lot. Learned a lot about startups. Learned a lot about investments. um, Learned a lot about what it takes to run a business um, in the real early stages um, and what that means and what kind of lifestyle that is. And it was tough, man, but I, yeah, it was really good. Yeah. Didn't work. I think working for friends wasn't really the way no, to go. No, it's a bad family um, of friends. No, couldn't do and it. And it had all the makings of it being really great. I think the company itself was so young and so green and there was a, many factors, but great time, um, a great time. And then I, I worked for another friend and that kind of fell apart too. 
And then I kind of thought, okay, do you know what? I'm going to do something completely different. I'm going to not be in male-dominated industries anymore. Um, and I'm going to do something. And did you? It's funny you said that. Did, did you ever? You felt like a an inferior? Did you feel second class? Or was there any moments I of? I don't think so. I, well, I don't know if it was feeling inferior. It just. I just think I needed a change after being in music and technology and startups and I, I just felt like I needed a change to do something different yeah and so when I was offered the job to go work for a clinic a skincare clinic I was like okay I mean sure let's why give not? it a rattle I mean I barely wear makeup but sure yeah um, and I went in as a business manager of a of a clinic of the Belfast branch of a sort of a national chain of clinics um, knowing absolutely nothing about skincare yeah. at all but then I thought you know what I went in the music industry knowing nothing I went into technology knowing very little and so. apparently the skincare industry is the next trillion dollar industry so you were moving in the right path yeah I mean it's definitely big business there's definitely a lot of money to be made I mean where we are now in aesthetics is it's recession proof yeah people are living longer people want to look well now well, I want to pause here mm -hmm. right because I want to find out how you went in as a business development manager for a chain mm -hmm. a franchise clinic to finding your own clinic because that just doesn't yeah, happen no, overnight well no it doesn't the job was good and being going in as a business manager for me in that job I found it pretty easy money um from being like from being your own boss from being in music crazy hours from being in a startup with tough tough environment to go to running a wee clinic for me I was quite happy and um, to kind of slow things down a bit got myself settled got pregnant and um, we'll talk about we Cleo in a minute and then got made redundant oh <laughs> when I was six months pregnant oh so the rug was kind of pulled out from under me a little bit but I'd only been there a year and a half in the clinic but I had kind of got the lay of the land my assistant manager at the time very talented girl and had always wanted her own clinic and I said, okay, okay, me and you together, we can do this ourselves. And we did. That's amazing. Because it's so funny. Um, I was in a similar situation when I started my first company, Danny, the online ad network. I had just had Eilish. Eilish was literally five, six days old when I went to a VC asking for seed investment to get started. No joke. You know, when you look back and mm -hmm. it's exactly the same. And I think it's at those times those are the opportunities you need to take so like i could have laid down and felt really sorry for myself and moped with a new baby and eva lily was under two and or i could fight on and you see i think that's the difference isn't it we're obviously fighters mm -hmm. survivors well i think i just it felt at that point whenever i got my redundant i was like do you know what at this point literally i think you know i'd been through so many ups and downs and was like yeah i'm taking the, the three jobs and i hadn't worked working for other people I'm going to do it for myself. As the, for me, the way to have stability was actually to do it for myself and be in control of yeah. my own destiny, not be relying on someone else to pay my wage. Um, and I remember going to the, the CEO at the time of the, of the national chain and saying, right, yeah, we're going to do this and we might look to get some of your equipment and all. And her basically laughing in my face. And good going, luck. Oh, no, you'll not be able to. Oh, no, wait, so have your baby. And do you know, just, yeah. I was like, that just spurred me on even more, actually. So Cleo was a week old. So yeah, she was born the twenty sixth of June, and we opened on the second of July. 
And what was it? What, what did that entail? Like, how did you and your business partner decide? Right, well, what are we going to do here? What makes us different? You know, because I guarantee you, there's one woman or one guy out there listening to the podcast today who's literally at that tipping point, and they're like, right, I'm going to. It's 2020. It's the start of a new decade. This is my opportunity. I'm going to do it for myself. Mm-hmm. What did it take for you to get to the point? Because I tell my story and people think, well, that's a bit ridiculous. Like, I am totally the cliche of working it out in the back of a napkin. I still have the napkin where we worked out what it would cost to run for six months. When would we be invoicing? When would the cash be in? What would we have to do? All of those figures that we, like the business plan, mm-hmm. like, what did that look like? What did you have to do? to actually like you're six months pregnant mm-hmm. there's a three month gap here yeah. that you have an opportunity to build something what did that take well that was exactly it i knew that i had that window and i didn't i had no clue what was going to happen when i had that baby what is it what's going to happen during a birth what's going to happen afterwards what there's not needs is my baby going to have what time will i have i didn't know any of that but what i knew was i had up until the day my baby was born I could work my ass off, and I did. Yeah. Um, and finding a place, falling through, finding a second place, getting the refurbishment, you know, waddling through Belfast in a high-vis jacket, like just... I mean, it's a good look for Hey, listen, it's very classy. Yeah. Um, but a lot of, one of the other things I did um, was, because I'm kind of in that digital zone in my brain, had everything cloud-based. So if i'm not gonna be if i'm not able to be around i can do everything as much as possible from my bed or from wherever i'll be and that was really important so setting up those kind of things in advance makes us different okay so you're open mm-hmm. the clinic is open you're here where are you located in belfast we are in college street which is a sort of fountain area bit of belfast okay what do you guys do tell me about the clinic mm-hmm. and what what do you guys do so uh, we're a multi award-winning aesthetics clinic. Nice, nice, it's nice to there. say multi. Uh, so we do a lot of laser-based treatments, really. So whenever we opened, we that was important just to be able to continue what we'd been doing before in the other clinic, which was real the absolute best of the best. So we had to get the best laser possible, and we did very, very expensive. Okay. Uh, but it does an amazing job. So we have a couple of them now, um, and we do, were able to do hair removal. We're able to do skin rejuvenation and pigment removal. And what do you think it is with people now? Because, you know, 20 years ago, Cher was getting a facelift, but none of the rest of us were getting any treatment. What do you think has changed over the last, I suppose, the last decade in particular? Mm-hmm. Like my brother sent, I'll show you it after, I'll actually post it on, on, on Twitter and um, Instagram and Facebook later to show you. But they talked about, you know, how grandmas are going to look in 40 years. And it was the fake boobs, the big lips, the pullback face, but with all the wrinkles. Like, what do you think is our obsession with trying to stay forever young? Well, people are living longer. Um, Technology has afforded us the opportunity to make things better. So people are living longer because medicine and technology, you know, that medical technology has become better. Um, procedures are getting less invasive so facelift the demand for facelifts is going down people don't want surgery they don't want to spend the money and they don't want the downtime and they don't want it to be permanent as well so the semi-permanent um, kind of non-invasive treatments are just soaring okay and um, because they have become normalized as well mm. they've become accessible and they've it's not just for Hollywood A-listers yes for everybody you can get these things on the high street now 
that's a good and a bad thing. Yeah. Um, and we are very big advocates for safety and for increased regulation in the industry. I think it is going to go too far, and it almost has. But there is like there's loads of like Botox specialists in a beautician's back room. I'm like I wouldn't go near it. You know, you don't know what you're getting. You don't know what they're putting into your face. You don't. You know, I think you're right. You need to have qualifications, certifications, you know, be totally registered or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. And how, how do you fight that or how do you come up against that? So say, for example, there's a beautician's down the road and, you know, Joe Bloggs is in there giving Botox for £100. How do you come up with that? I mean, we see it all the time. But what we see is people call us and go, oh, yeah, I had this down the road. You know, uh, can you, it hasn't gone quite right. Can you fix it? The number of corrections that we're having to do or being asked to do has increased massively yeah. because people are... One person's um, eyebrows up in their, like the top of their head and the other one's you, down at their nose. I think people don't understand the value of what it is and people think because it is cheap and it has become normalised that it's acceptable, but people don't understand what it takes to run a proper clinic that has proper proper medical waste disposal, yeah. a clean surface, yeah. you know, single-use needles, like all so many things um, that go into it. What happens if something goes wrong on the day? You know, in theory, anyone can inject you with anything. Uh, what if they inject it in the wrong place and you start to lose a feeling in your face and then you lose the blood, it starts to go black and that spreads and you lose the tissue? Does your beautician, hairdresser, whoever, know how to fix that if that starts to happen? Yeah. Um, so not going to a properly registered medical professional it's educating people behind the whole process as well isn't it yeah it's probably a lack of education people just think it's a quick fix oh, it's a hundred pound what a dream your man down the road's 300 pound why would space you know pay three when i can get it for one like it's too big a risk yeah well we've seen so many since we opened so many more clinics have opened and um, even near us it's incredible and we have lost clients that have gone to cheaper places mm. quite a few of them have come back I would say so. <laughs> and tell us, you know, because I think the world of aesthetics just amazes me. Like there has been an explosion over the last five years, you know, yeah. that, you know, we all see ourselves. What is it that you guys do? What, or what is it that the feel good factor? Like, do you see women come in and just their confidence excel through treatments? Yeah, I think the difference with us is that we actually really care. Um, and we're not just going to sell you something for the sake of selling it like we would never do any treatment or anything without a full consultation without talking to you first and figuring out what it is you actually need or want yeah um and we turn a fair few people away uh it's it is sad and we, we get quite a lot of people that come in that want to fix a problem and you realize it's an internal problem yeah. and we can fix everything on the surface but, but unless you fix the inside yeah will make you feel better so and saying that, I mean, we so we are always on the lookout for body dysmorphia, and we will we won't treat people that we feel are are properly suffering. Um, tell tell our listeners what body dysmorphia is. It's a sort of a I guess it's a it's a medical condition where you you don't see what other people see, so you see problems or issues that really aren't really there. Um, and do you find that in younger girls or older guys um, or girls or all, women? Or? All kinds of people. Actually, yeah. all kinds of people. And do you ever find them coming in? Because I, I know exactly what you're saying, but it's like social media, you know, airbrush, filters. Young girls, young fellas are so impressionable with these celebs that look flawless. But the reality of these, you know, they're 
they're filtered, it's photoshopped, it's fixed. But right. sometimes they don't understand that these are fake and they perceive it as being the reality. Yeah. And actually in real life, these people are just normal looking people. And for me, I think that's probably one of the biggest growth areas, you know, lucky for your business, <laughs> that people want the flawless look. They want mm. to be perfect. Um, and I suppose, do you kind of take time to educate people? Listen, if they come in with a photo of such and such and say, I want to look like her. That doesn't tend to happen, actually. No. But people will come in, especially with the nurse, and they'll say, what do I need? Uh-huh. And you, the answer is always nothing. You actually don't need anything. What do you want? Is there something that you think you'd like, or is there something you're thinking about? Because we we don't we don't tend to get a lot of that type of client. To be honest, the most of what we do actually is working with clients to fix things like rosacea, acne, pigmentation, broken veins. Um, it's not sexy at all. Yeah. Um, it's not glamorous. Really, what we do is is that. Um. So it could be a woman in her 40s or 50s, her hormones are changing and she started to grow some facial hair and she's freaking out because she's never had that before. Yeah. Well, yeah, do you know what? Actually, we can help you get rid of that. We can fix um, that. And that is actually life-changing for people. I can imagine. Um, we're working with trans clients who are transitioning from male to female again on the facial hair. That's something that maybe that outs them. Yeah. As you know, So again, there's something we can help with that is legitimately life-changing. It's incredible. Um, even something that people would think is innocuous as acne can be really detrimental. Oh, so of it can course really it affect can, someone's yeah. mental health. Um, and there's studies about that, about how it really does properly affect them. And so if we can get them into good, healthy skincare routines consistently, for some young guys, it's literally having to say, here is how you wash your face every day yeah. with a cleanser. You know, water so won't be it's enough. It's all education. So we do a lot of that. So yeah. what? So that the sexy side that people see in the Kylie Jenners and the lips and all, really is a very small part of what our clinic does. Okay, twenty twenty. What are the big plans? What are your goals? What exciting things are happening for you? Oh goodness! Well, we are on track to be the first and only clinic in Ireland registered through the Acne and Rosacea Charity to be an accredited centre of excellence. Wow. So excited about that. That's quite the accolade, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, we've had a good year in 2019 of um, being recognised as the best clinic in Northern Ireland and then the best clinic in Ireland. Um, and so this is just something else for us to show that it's a legitimate, recognised, accredited thing. Now, are you going to stick with Beyond Skin or have you any aspirations to, I don't know, go back into the music? And PR, <laughs> or uh, are you going to stay with this for a yeah, while? I can't see me going back into to music. Um, it's a young man's game. Oh really? Oh please, he's <laughs> up. But no, you're happy. You I'm find happy. your find I your mojo. Uh, myself and my business partner Gillian are um, an amazing team, and you'd be hard pressed to find as good a team as us. Yeah, she is exceptionally qualified, talented, and excellent at what she does um, in terms of the treatment side. I do all the other boring stuff. So you don't practice yourself. I don't. No, no. I mean, I'm not trained in that way. So you can't take my wrinkles away from under my eyes. No. Sorry. No. Oh, right. Okay. Not me. Just... I know many people who can. Okay. Good. Um, <laughs> so, what about venturing, growing the business? Would you venture across the border? Would you like to open other clinics, or Belfast-based, or would you go to Dublin into other big cities? You know, we've been asked that question a lot recently, um, I think because we've grown so quickly in the three years we've been open, mm. and we talk about it regularly. Um, at the minute, we don't have plans for a second location. We talk about it back and forth. I think if we do 
something this year or in the next 18 months it'll be something digital oh very good oh like an, a webinar or there's lots of different avenues um to you're not oh you're holding it close <laughs> to your chest there's, i mean only because i haven't really decided yet there's a few different ways we could go with it um, but beauty tech is huge. Yeah. Um, L'Oreal have recently said they want to be the biggest beauty technology company in the world. And it's like, oh, wow, okay. That's a bold statement. That's, yeah, they're really... Well, it's the use of AI, there, isn't it? So. There's a lot of AI that's already out there. There's a lot of VR that's already out there. Like, it's really, there's some really cool stuff going yeah. on. So I think if we can have a little slice of that or do something, Ooh. we might. Watch the space. Watch the well, space. now you'd really come into your own then, wouldn't you? We'll see, we'll see. Now, I'm going to say one word and I want you to tell me all about it. Breastable. Yes. Tell us about Breastable. Okay, Breastable is a festival that celebrates and normalises breastfeeding. Okay. Did you create this before having Cleo or is this after the bambino was born? So this was after Cleo was born. Um, I was breastfeeding Cleo um, and was at a breastfeeding support group it's what you do when you're a new mum and you don't have any friends um, and met another girl also called Jen and she has a baby who's like a week or two the same age as Cleo basically and the pair of us sort of got chatting and, and realised we wanted to do something and we Why was that? Because we're both maniacs I think um, you know I mean not, I was going to say we were both off on maternity I wasn't off on maternity Not um, when you let me tell you something when you're self-employed kiddo good luck not maternity, maternity leave doesn't exist I wasn't in the clinic full time at that point um, until Cleo was like four months old um, so I had like a couple of days off a week and thought oh I can't be doing that I can't be not doing something oh, imagine uh, having a rest imagine that so, so me and Jen basically came up with this Concept. And then initially the concept was just to get some breastfeeding mums in a room and have a chat about issues or concerns or, or even just go, well done, we're breastfeeding. Um, and it's sort of over the three years has morphed into this really cool, uh, fun festival. Over a thousand people attend. Uh, we've won awards for being really cool and it's awesome. It's really awesome. And again, life changing for people. And do you think it diminishes, like, I think, you know, a kid needs to be fed. If you're breastfeeding, get the boob out, feed the child. What's the big deal? Move on. Well, Nothing to see, see here. That's how we think, and yeah. me and my friends. Um, but but actually, what is the issue? Well, Northern Ireland has the lowest rate of breastfeeding in the world. Just, like, let that literally sink in. The world, Northern Ireland, where we live, the lowest breastfeeding rate in the world. Like, it's insane. Why is that? Because of our culture. Yeah. There's many, many things culturally that need to change in this country, but that is one of them. Yeah. Um, the benefits of breastfeeding are like, I don't need to educate you. Well, now you're going to make me very jealous because I breastfed Aoife Lily for two weeks and I had no milk. And the paediatrician told me, Miss McLatton, you have to give this child a bottle. She was orange and her bilirubin level, her jaundice level, um, it just, there was no, there was no milk. And I just remember feeling like such a failure that I couldn't feed my own child. And the same thing happened with Eilish, my second. And I'll never forget, I thought, this is it. I've got it, we're flying here. Mm -hmm. Again, day six, day seven, we tested it. There was like a drip. I thought this child is actually starving. She guzzled four ounces, right? My mother came out with three uh, pre-mixed gin and tonics, you know, the Schweppes gin and tonics, and a tin of SMA. She came in with a glass of ice and poured one of the tin and tonics, handed it to me, took the SMA and Eilish and fed her a bottle. 
the child was starving. So I'm an advocate for it, but I was not a, well, a failure. It didn't work for me. And I feel sometimes too that we could be put under pressure to breastfeed and if it doesn't work and there's all this guilt, you know, that you're a bad mother, that you can't feed your own child. And do you support those mothers as well and the likes of Breastable who can't breastfeed? So Breastable is not about saying, breast is best, you have to breastfeed your child. It's about saying, let's calm down. It's just quite normal. It's just a child being fed with a boob. That's what it is. Yeah, just go now, into the field and see the cows in the field. So, I mean, one of the things that we, we hear a lot of those stories of, I couldn't do it, I didn't have any milk, it didn't work for me. And I think part of the issue that we have is there isn't enough support for breastfeeding mothers. Mm. Um, and I know the public health agency do a really good job to educate midwives and educate health professionals. There is peer support, there, there is support out there, but it's not always accessible or people mm. don't always know where to go. But what's more important or what's more um, of an influence is the, the local the support. So the mums, the sisters, the grannies, the aunties. Yeah. Well, my mother was a midwife for 40 years, a sister in postnatal. And she was the one that handed me the gin and tonic because she knew exactly what she, I was going through. Mm -hmm. She'd seen it time and time again. And I was like, <sighs> and all of a sudden I felt like that pressure was taken off me and I didn't have to, you know, but there is that moment where you just feel useless. You think, you know, what kind of a mother am I? And it's horrible. Yeah. Do you know when you have a new gorgeous baby and you're thinking, oh, I love you so much and you want to just give them the best good stuff, the I colostrum know. and the antibodies and all the good stuff and the breast milk. And then you're like, right. <laughs> but every feed, even if it's one feed or five feeds or 500 or, you know, every yeah. feed is doing, is the, doing the good. good. So, so tell us the format of breast milk because I think this is class. Yeah. Tell so we do, it's a one day Where, um, in September. It, no, August, it's always the first weekend in August. Always clashes with Pride every year, but there you go. Uh, can't help that. So uh, during World Breastfeeding Week, is that's why we do it in August. Brilliant. Um, and we've, the past few years, we've been in the Austrian Museum. So we basically take over the entire ground floor and fill it full of kids and parents and families and do loads of cool stuff. Um, you were saying there's different panel discussions. So we try and, and kind of mix it up. So we'll do discussions on things like breastfeeding aversion um, or how to support breastfeeding, um, how to help, how dads and parents and um, partners can get involved. Um, but we also do things kind of associated with parents. Um, parenting and I are always in attendance and they're there to offer support. But we'll do uh, sessions with uh, sling swings, so all about baby wearing. Um, we'll look at cloth nappies and how to how to do that, how to get involved with that kind of thing. Eco-friendly, brilliant. Um, yeah, I mean, all, all kinds of stuff. We also, for the past couple of years, have had every single political party in the room at one time. Something not a well lot of people done. can do. <laughs> Nobody, in fact, can do. No, no, we've done it That's twice. actually quite the award there. Yeah, yeah, so what we do is we get them all in a room. We say, how can you support breastfeeding in your constituency and what are you going to do to protect it? Yeah. Um, because it is a public health concern good on you that's incredible like and how do you promote that because you know you would have thought there would have been more hype could could we get more hype going about that on social or the festival yeah so the first year we we had hired a room in the mac um for like 30 people and we had to go back to them about four times and ask for a bigger room because it kept more people kept wanting and to do people attend. book tickets for it you book ticket you register it's free to attend um and you register online and um, to be honest the past two years we, we haven't had to promote it because it just word of mouth it sells out people are so there's such a demand we were really overwhelmed the first year 
and um, within the demand that people really wanted something like that to exist yeah and we've had people that have sort of sent us messages and spoken to us and say like it genuinely changed their life where they're the only person in their family that's ever breastfed and they were getting so much hassle from their entire family but they get to go to that one day and it be they feel normal yeah you know that's very um, important so no that's, i think we, we've actually got somebody joining the uh, podcast here so what i always do um at the end of two guys i think they're going to come and join us they're looking they're like hello um so <laughs> they heard they were talking about boobs what uh, yeah the breastfeeding we heard the breastfeeding <laughs> was out so um what um for 2020 for jenny what is the big exciting goal for you for me um it's not exciting but i think sustaining what we're doing i feel like i i've got to a place where things are amazing in a lot of different areas um, but it's to to keep you can't keep rising. Um, I don't know how to top what the clinic has achieved in twenty nineteen. It's just been amazing. So I think this, the challenge will be sustaining that and staying at the top, which I think is going to be harder than rising to the top. Good on you. And one question I always ask all the broadcasters: if you could tell your sixteen year old self one piece of advice, what would it be? Oh, that is a good question. Uh, I would say believe in yourself more and I'm sure that's probably a common answer um, and also ask more questions. Yeah. I think at 16 I was a very good studious girl and a good daughter and doing the things you were supposed to do supposed to do, um, and went along doing that um, but ask more questions or question things more. Right and this is the final thing I'm going to do right I was out running this morning and I always find this time of year, I'm again such a cliche. It's like, right, what are my plans for 2020? What are my goals personally and professionally? And I was listening to Oprah and Super Soul Conversations. Do you ever listen to her no, podcast? So. If you ever need to pick me up, there's some <laughs> brilliant ones. So she was on with Pastor Joel Osteen, and it was about I am. So Oprah was saying that, you know, I am tired. I am exhausted, I am feeling down. If we portray or say I am, we become that. So we become tired, we become feeling down, we become, you know, a bit depressed or whatever. But it's about, you know, the, the whole uh, secret and the power of positivity and the law of positive attraction and all of that. And this is it. So I was out pounding the roads trying to burn off the Christmas fat. And I'm coming down thinking, well, I am, what am I, right? So I was like, my word, I am successful I am capable and I'm a good mummy because sometimes you question all of those three things so I listen to the podcast and it's about the power of positivity so you you become what you put out there right mm -hmm. so what are your three I am's I am a mother through and through that's my number one that's always um, and I am an entrepreneur I think that's become clear to me over the years. I can't seem to shake it. <laughs> yeah. And what I can now say is I am successful. And it takes a while to admit that. I realise that, but I feel it. How good does it feel to say those things? Well, I love all of them. Yeah. So Because yeah. I think a lot of us don't have the confidence to say, I am really good at what I do. So it's instilling that positivity for 2020 for all our listeners there. If you're listening now, I want you to think about what your three positive I ams are. Not that, oh, I'm tired. Oh, I have to go back to work. I hate my job. 
you know, it's about taking those negatives and saying, right, how do we turn this into a positive? There's a really good one as well, which is similar. Um, so there's this female entrepreneurs thing. I, can't, I, I will find the proper name of it. I'll send it. Will you send it to me and I'll share I will. a link? But their thing is, I also. And what they say is, as women, typically, you're not just your job. So they ask women to say, yeah, I do this. I also. I also, uh -huh. I also, because we do so many things and oh, we do. that one thing doesn't always define you. So if you are feeling low at some point, think about what else there is. Yeah, yeah. to lift your spirits. Mm -hmm. Well, listen, thank you. You are the perfect guest for the first <laughs> edition of the She Said Club in 2020. Jenny, thank you so much for joining us. Now, but before we sign off, where can people follow you on social is it at the clinic or are you on social or what what's your social handle? Yeah, I mean I'm pretty easy to find. Um the clinic is Beyond Skin Clinic. Um and if you look through there you'll find me. Are you on Instagram, Facebook? Um Instagram, Jenny Wallace. Um Facebook will be yeah, the clinic. And Breastable, where can people find out more? breastablebelfast.co.uk you'll find us there super well listen you are a wee champion I am delighted uh, that when you come on the road I thought we were going to talk more about the clinic and everything but I just can't believe everything else <laughs> that you do and what you've achieved I told you need three hours <laughs> so thank you so much for joining us and again if people want to find you they can find you on Instagram at Jenny Wallace at Beyond Skin Clinic and Breastable Belfast Jenny thanks a million <laughs>